All right, so let's dive into our series. Stivey kicked us off two weeks ago, and he was talking about this concept of rating hell, and specifically he was talking about witnessing 101. And the main principle that he talked to you about was the principle of one. Have one person that you allow God to lay on your heart, that you are praying for, that you are seeking, that you are spending time with, that you're building relationship so that you can reach that one person for Christ. God has not called us to go out and save every single person in the world or to teach them the gospel, but we need to be willing and ready when that one person comes along. So pick that one person you're praying about and praying for an opportunity. Dave talked to us last week about open and closed doors. Look for those opportunities that God gives you to be able to share your faith and to share your story. Every Christian is called to make a difference. He reminded us that it's not a sales and marketing approach. It's simply doing life with people. It's being you, being normal, sharing your story. We have a responsibility to share our stories when God gives that opportunity. So let's be doing that in practical ways. And again, he reminded us the same principle of one. Be praying about that one person that God has laid on your heart. Today we're talking about staying on message. And this is going to be a little more of a practical kind of approach to all of this. So the things you've heard the last two weeks, how do we put that into practice? What are some of the do's and don'ts of that? And I'm going to walk you through some of the things that you need to understand about how we share our faith. But I'm also going to talk very specifically to you about some of the things you need to watch out for or avoid when you're sharing your faith. So hopefully we'll walk through some of that very clearly. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been around one of those people who knows too much about the Bible for their own good? You ever seen that? Not, don't hear, mishear me here. I'm not saying that you can know too much about the Bible, but one of those people who just comes off like, my brain's a whole lot bigger than your brain. You ever been around one of those? You ask them a question when they finish answering, you go, I know less now than I knew when they started. They say something like this. Well, my soteriological understanding, coupled with my intense study of eschatology and ecclesiastry, would suggest that the concept of transubstantiation is a bit far-fetched within the context of sacramentarianism. What? Were you speaking English? If you don't understand anything I said, Brian Stiverson will be available after service, and he's our deep theologian, so he can explain all of that to you, Okay. But in reality, why do we try to make it so difficult? Why do we think we have to have all these answers and come off so smart when we present the gospel to people, when we share our story? I heard this story about a Bible professor who was going onto the mission field, and he goes overseas, and he's in a country where he doesn't speak the language, and so he's got a translator going with him, and he stands up in front of this, this group of leaders, and he begins to share his story, and he says, I want to talk to you today about the transcendent but ever-present God that we serve. He's the propitiation we need and the eschatological hope of the world. And he pauses so the translator can catch up. And the translator looks at him, and he looks back at the people he's talking to, and he goes, he says he's glad to be here. (laughs) Why can't it be that simple? Seriously. Why can't it be that simple? I'm just glad to be here, glad to hang out with you, glad to be able to share my story, to talk to you and tell you where I'm at. We often fall under this trap of feeling like we have to be smarter than the person we're talking to to share our faith. We've got to have all the answers and know everything and be able to explain everything. Or on the flip side of that, we fall under the trap of going, well, I don't know enough, so I'm not going to share my faith at all. I'm just not going to share my story because I probably can't answer any questions anyway. And either way, no matter which side of the coin we fall on, we've missed an opportunity. God's presented an open door and we haven't walked through it. See, it's not about how much you know. It's about sharing your story. It's about being real with people. 
It's about expressing what God's done in your life, how he's changed who you are. We get caught up on a lot of these things way too often. And apparently it's not just us that falls into this trap because even the Apostle Paul has fallen into this trap before. I mean, here's Paul, the writer of much of the New Testament. He's a a learned man. He's educated. He knows his stuff. He has studied Scripture. He knows all the answers. And yet I've watched how he does this in Scripture. In fact, let's pick up a story in Acts chapter 17. Paul is talking to a group of philosophers from Athens. And this is his famous sermon from Mars Hill. And you've probably heard of that. I mean, there's even churches named after Mars Hill because it was this beautiful, elegant speech that Paul gives. And listen to his words here. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You're saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. Know anybody like that? So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I noticed that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing, he's the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and when they should fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. All right, let's break this down here. Let me give you the Cliff's Notes version of everything you just read. Here's Paul talking to the most brilliant philosophers of the day. Athens is this place where they think and they know that they know it all. And this is a group of philosophers within Athens who are inviting him to come speak to him who love to debate the newest thing of the day. You've got a new idea? Bring it to us. Let's talk about it. We'll prove it or disprove it. We'll figure out how it all works. We'll explain it to you. And so they bring Paul in, this educated man, to share with them. And Paul goes, yes, this is my opportunity, a group of brilliant men, and I can show them what I know. And he begins to talk. And at the beginning, he's basically just buttering them up. And he's expressing things in such a way that it's kind of stroking their ego. Well, I see that you're very religious people. You've got all this stuff figured out. You've got a God for everything. In fact, you've got your bases covered so well, you've even got a shrine for the unknown God. Just in case you missed one, you've got it covered. You've got it figured out. And he goes on to talk, and he uses their own religion to introduce them to God, the one true God, talking about your your unknown God is this God that I'm trying to tell you about. He paints this beautiful theological picture of who God is explains God to them, begins to teach them about him. He pulls them in and he's got them fully engaged, sitting on the edge of their seat listening to him. He's got them right where he wants them, hook, line, and sinker. And then he drops the gospel like a ton of bricks on them. 
And he brings it all home and he explains to them the truth of the gospel. Christ crucified and raised from the dead. He talks about judgment is coming and you're going to be judged based on your relationship with Jesus. He's come to save the world. And I read this story and I go, wow. Now that's a preacher. That guy, he knows his stuff. He's got all the answers. He used their own story, connected to it. He met them where they were. It was relevant. He is right on target. Okay, let's look at how many thousands of people came to Christ that day because of his message. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. What? Some people laughed in contempt when he shared the God. I mean, here's this eloquent, eloquent speech. Here's a brilliant, educated man who's pouring his heart out, who use, pulls out all the stops and uses every gift he has to connect with his audience and to communicate thoroughly. And they laughed in contempt. And there were a few followers. In fact, other translations say there were a few followers of Paul. They looked at Paul and went, well, he's a smart man. He's got things figured out. I'll hang out with him. I'll listen to what he's got to say. But in reality, Paul missed the opportunity to connect them with God that day. See, it bugs me that so many seminaries and so many Bible colleges use this passage and talk about this amazing picture of reaching people for Christ, of sharing the gospel. This is what your sermon should look like. And you read the story and you look what happens afterwards and you go, why? It didn't work. There were a few people who followed Paul, but most of them didn't get it. Why would we model what we do after this? Well, it was such a brilliant speech. It was such an amazing presentation. Yeah, and even Paul stepped back and went, yeah, but it didn't work. It was unsuccessful. And that doesn't mean that every time you preach or every time you share your faith that there has to be thousands that come to Christ. That's not the point. But when even Paul steps back and goes, ugh, that didn't go like I thought it should go. Seems like it should help us wake up to that as well. And see, that's what I love about Paul. He was a brilliant, educated man but he was humble enough to go, God, where did I mess up? What did I miss in this? What went wrong? How should I do this different? What's it look like next time? How can I learn from this? And I love how his next approach is. He leaves Athens and he goes to Corinth. And in Corinth is where he planted a new church. And look at how his approach is different. And this is coming from the message because I think it really conveys the heart of the change in Paul. So as you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus and who he is, and then Jesus and what he did. Jesus crucified. I was unsure of how to go about this, and I felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death, if you want the truth of it. And so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else. But the message came through anyway. God's spirit and God's power did it, which made it clear that your life of faith is a response to God's power not to some fancy mental or emotional footwork by me or anybody else. Paul's demeanor has changed completely. I mean, here's Paul who came into Athens at Mars Hill, quite honestly, just cocky. He walked in and went, I've got all the answers. I can prove to you who you're worshiping. I can prove who God is. I can convince you that you need to follow this God. And he bombed. From his perspective, he went, what happened? What went wrong? That was a great speech. Why didn't people rally around it? 
And I think he got beat up. And he got kicked in his ego. And he walked away bruised and broken from that. And so he comes to Corinth and he goes, I'm scared to death. I've got nothing to offer. I don't know what I'm going to say or what I'm going to do or how I'm going to do this. I'll just stick to the simple part of it. I'll just tell you about Jesus. And it's amazing how God shows up in those moments. You see, I don't think God asks us to show up and show off. I think God just asks us to show up, to be obedient to the opportunities that he gives us, to walk through the doors that he opens. Paul approaches it simply, and God moves powerfully in that moment. Isn't it amazing how that works? See, the reality is that none of us are smart enough to figure it out on our own. None of us are smart enough to convince somebody else of how badly they need Christ. It's only when God is involved and when He is moving in power and His Holy Spirit is convicting hearts that lives are changed. We just have to be humble enough to be obedient. In the outline you got in your bulletin this morning, notice at the top of it how these two stories are labeled. In the first one, as we talk about Athens, it says, Brilliance in Athens. And that's exactly what it was. Paul had this brilliant speech. He had this educated approach to it. It was amazing. And it had dismal results. But in Corinth, Paul approaches it very humbly. And it talks about power in Corinth because that's where God showed up and did some amazing things when he kept it really simple. And he approached it with just the simplicity of the gospel. See, I think there's a couple principles that we need to take out of this. And the first is this. Keep it simple. When you are sharing your faith, keep it simple. Don't try to impress anybody with what you do or do not know. It doesn't matter. Keep it simple. See, brilliance is not taking a simple concept and presenting it in such a way where people are impressed when they walk away. Brilliance is taking a deep, complex subject and making it so simple that a third grader can understand it. Think about it. Think about it. Keep it simple. Jesus did this beautifully. John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Simple concept. Very simple concept. And you understand it. Is that the whole depth of the gospel in that statement? No. The more you study, the more you explore, the more you learn about who God is, you're going to find out that he is so deep that you'll never understand But he says it so simply here where you're faced with a decision point to go, am I going to follow this Jesus who says he's the only way or am I going to keep trying to do it my way? Simplicity. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. There's some other scriptures there that you can look up later from Matthew 18 and Luke 10. Make sure you glance at those. It's great examples of how simple Jesus presents the gospel over and over. He reminds us constantly We should have faith with the heart of a child, like the heart of a child. We should approach it with that childlike faith. Second principle is this. Keep it focused on Jesus. Keep it focused on Jesus. You can tell your story all day long, and there are important aspects of your story, and that's how people are going to connect to you. But if you tell your entire story, and you don't want to direct people to Jesus or help them see how God has changed you in the process, again, you've missed the point and wasted your time. Because you can't figure it out on your own. You can't change you. Only God can change you. He needs to be a huge part of your story. You need to be able to present to people how he has changed your heart and how he has changed your life. Keep it focused on Jesus. Look at what Paul did. 
Go back to that 1 Corinthians 2 passage. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. Does this mean that Paul was suddenly stupid when he went to Corinth? No. He didn't forget everything. He didn't just choose to not remember anything, but he decided as he walked into it, I'm not going to give you the big flowery words. I'm not going to keep blowing smoke at you. I'm not going to impress you with what I say. I'm just going to tell you the simple, basic truth of it, and then you decide what you're going to do with it. See, the gospel message in and of itself is powerful. We don't need to put a bunch of glam with it. Just preach the gospel. Share God with the world around you. It's not the words you use. It's the power of God working through you. Now, let's shift gears for a minute. And I want to make it a little more personal for you. And I want to talk about some dead-end detours that we face. And these are things that I would encourage you. As you are sharing your faith, you need to avoid them at all costs. These are things that either people will try to turn the conversation around to go a different direction, and you need to be aware of that, or it's things that often I've heard Christians use these tactics to go, well, this is how I'm going to share my faith. This is how I'm going to preach Jesus to others so they understand him. The first one is this. Avoid arguments about morality or about morals. Avoid arguments about morality. You can teach somebody good morals all day long. And at the end of the day, if they don't know Jesus, they're still going to hell. You want the blunt part of it? Good morals isn't going to fix anybody. The Bible talks all the time about we don't have a responsibility to teach someone who's not following Christ how to live a moral life. We have a responsibility to teach those who are following Christ what that looks like and how they should be living their life. It doesn't mean that morals are not important. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't have conversations about morals. It doesn't mean we shouldn't challenge our Christian brothers and sisters on those things. But don't use that as a starting point to bring someone to Christ, sitting down and having a moral argument, trying to explain to them why they're wrong or why they're sinning. Not a good idea. You have a friend who's living with someone outside of marriage, and you go, well, sorry, buddy, you're living in sin. You're going to go to hell if you don't fix that. That's not going to help. Bring them to Jesus. Introduce them to how God's changed your life and allow him to do the convicting. If he opens the door for you to have that conversation someday, great, have that. But your job is not to teach them how to live a moral life. Your job is to introduce them to Jesus and allow him to change their heart. There are all kinds of moral things that we need to be talking about and be aware of. There's things like homosexuality, Sex outside of marriage, foul language, abortion, domestic violence. They're all important topics. But if we don't introduce people to Jesus, it doesn't matter where we stand on those things. And this is a hard one for some of us. But it is easy to get caught up in a bunch of these issues, these moral issues. And you get so caught up in what you stand for, what you stand against, that you forget who you stand for. And there's a big difference. And you need to realize that. There's a big difference in what you stand for against compared to who you stand for. People need to see Christ in your life. Don't get caught up in all these issues and have the debates about morality and forget to introduce people to Christ. The reality is that when we have these arguments, we run the risk of winning the argument but losing the relationship. Think about that. You run the risk of winning the argument but losing the relationship. And it's in that relationship that you will have an impact on that person, that they will see Christ through you in the way you live your life. 
You want to argue about morals, argue with another Christian who's strong in their faith. Y'all can sit and have a debate all day long. No sweat off my back. But don't sit there and have an argument with somebody that you're trying to convince that they need to follow Christ. Just don't go there. Second one, partisan politics. Let me make this one easy. Don't go there. Don't do it. It's not that politics are not important. They are. Politics are very important. And if, again, if you want to debate with your Christian brother or sister that's strong in their faith, debate all day long. That's fine. But don't go there as a way to bring somebody to Christ, trying to convince them of how they should vote and how that's going to lead them to Jesus. Elections are important. Having the right elected officials in places are important. But here's the catch. You can have all the right officials in all the right positions all around the world, and the world's still going to go to hell in a handbasket if Jesus has not been introduced to those same people. It doesn't really matter. You should be informed. You should vote well. You should be educated when you look at politics. And you should be making sure that you are picking people who will take our country and the rest of the world into the right place. But don't put all your eggs in that basket. Because politics is not going to save the world. Jesus will. Don't debate about politics with someone who you're bringing to Christ. Stay away from it. And stay away from it in your small group too. Small group's not the place to have a political conversation, okay? It's just not. You're going to end up offending somebody, and it's not worth it. Talk to somebody that you know, and you know well, and you know where they stand, and you know they're strong in their faith, and somebody that you can have a conversation with and agree to disagree and walk away still friends. That's okay to have those conversations, but don't ever use it as a way to bring people to Christ. Number three, debates about theology. Theology is extremely important. What we believe in. How is our belief system based? We have to study theology. We need to study God's Word. We need to understand what He says. We need to make sure that we know where we are. But this is something we try to model here within our church family. We need to major on the majors. If it is clear in Scripture, then it's clear to us. And it's a big deal. If it's not clear in Scripture, quit fighting over it. Who cares? It's okay that you have an opinion and you should have an opinion. I, I, I encourage you, I challenge you, study. Know where you stand. Know what you believe in. Have conversations with other people to figure that out. Walk through that journey together. But don't sit and have an argument with somebody about a belief that the Bible's not clear about. Because if it's a gray area in Scripture, there's no reason for us to fight over it. Major on the majors, the things that are really important. Jesus, the Son of God, He's part of the Holy Trinity, God, Father, Holy Spirit. He came and He lived here fully God, fully man, walked among us. He died on the cross for our sins to give us right relationship with God. He was raised from the dead three days later, showing God's power through the resurrection. Those are black and white issues. They're clear as can be in Scripture. It's written there where you can read it and understand it and walk away without any confusion. Now you want to ask a question like, well, should I drink alcohol or should I not drink alcohol? You can have that debate all day long. There's nothing in the Bible that says thou shalt not drink. There's nothing in the Bible that says you should drink every day either. And so we can agree to disagree on that and we can walk away with differences of opinion and it's okay that we see it differently. Don't let that be your agenda item. And I picked that one on purpose because that's one of the most highly debated topics within the church. Drinking or not drinking, which church do you go to? That's not how the Bible's written. It shouldn't matter. Stay true to your convictions. 
Whatever God has laid on your heart, stay true to that. But don't bring your agenda to somebody else and fight with them because they see it a little differently in Scripture because it's a gray area. It's not crystal clear in in Scripture. Theology is important. You need to know what you believe. You need to study it. You need to understand it. But don't let that be something that comes between you and someone else that you're trying to lead to Christ. That's never the starting point. God will help them discover what they believe once they surrender their heart and they begin to study for themselves and they walk with other Christian brothers and sisters. Don't start there. Number four, the Bible and science. I heard a couple snickers. You like this one. Guess what? The Bible is not a science textbook. It's not. It's a love letter to us. It's our instruction manual. It's what is designed to help us understand how to live like God. I love science. And I love the things that I read and hear about where scientists are proving things that makes it come alive from Scripture. And they do these things where you go, man, God is so cool. I saw that. That's awesome. But don't sit down and have an argument with somebody over God and science or the Bible and science. 99.9% of you don't have a clue what you're talking about anyway. You read an article on Google, and that does not make you an expert. Don't argue it. If it's something that stood out to you and it was cool, great. Sit down and have a conversation with another Christian who's strong in their faith. Figure out where you stand on it. That's good. But don't make that the argument that you use to bring somebody to Christ to try to convince them, well, did you see this experiment? I mean, this just proves how real God is. I'm glad if they agree with that article, but that doesn't mean their heart's going to change. That doesn't help them experience the relationship or how Jesus is going to be real to them. Don't go there. Faith is not proving something with scientific data. Faith is trusting in the unseen and the intangible and staking our life on the results. Do you hear that? Faith is trusting in the unseen and the intangible and staking our life on the results. The best answer you can have when it comes to the Bible and science is this. I don't know. I don't know. I've not studied it. I'm not an expert in it. And even if I was, I'd say the same thing. I don't know. Here's what I think. Here's what I've seen. But only God knows. Avoid it. Number five, end times speculation. You want to get me on a soapbox, let's have this conversation. I have this argument with part of my extended family on a regular basis. End time speculation. You don't know when the world is going to end. The Bible's clear on this one. Only one person knows, and that is God alone. We can see things happening in the Middle East. We can see things happening in our own government. We can see all this stuff that lines up, and it may look like the world's going to end tomorrow, but I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not in charge of that. Do not get stuck in this trap, end-time speculation. Too many times I hear people argue this all the time. And they're arguing, well, you you have to come to Christ because the world's going to end in a week or two. Or they're arguing about, well, this is how it's going to happen and you need to be prepared for this. Well, the rapture's going to be this way or the new heaven and earth is going to look this way or, well, there's the millennial reign and then it's... Who cares? I want you to have an opinion. There's nothing wrong with that. But when it comes to sharing Jesus with others, who cares? If you're following Christ and you're growing in your relationship with Him, how does it matter how it ends? I want you to have an opinion. But the way Scripture reads, it's hard to be concrete on that. 
And the reality is, when the end of time comes, we'll all know it and we'll all figure it out. And our questions will be answered. And the most important thing is that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and I'm growing in that relationship so that I'm prepared for that day whenever it happens. Don't get stuck in the details of it and stuck in that trap. Do you know how many people have predicted the world's end? Time and time again. And here's the problem. They're always wrong. And it's not just that person who looks like an idiot. It's the entire Christian culture who looks like idiots. Because they present it from the standpoint to go, well, this is what the Bible says. This is how time's going to end. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says a father alone knows when time will end and when judgment will happen. Trust in what you know and what is clear. End times is not a major. It's not a black and white thing in Scripture. It's a gray area. So have your own beliefs, but don't fight with people about them. Drop the agenda. Number six, a one-size-fits-all canned presentation. Dave had a great example of this last week, the story about his pastor who did the recording on the cassette tape and they would call everybody in the phone book and pick up the phone and they'd listen to what they say and then they put it back down and hit play or pause or whatever they needed to do. And see, in something like that, it doesn't matter what the person on the other end says, you're going to end up in the same place, right? And I hear people do this all the time. They walk up to try to lead somebody to Christ and they're having this conversation and it doesn't matter what the person says. It doesn't matter what questions they're asking or what answers they give. You're going to land in the same spot every time, forcing them to make a decision. And you know what happens when you do that? You ever seen the movie Madagascar from Disney? The penguins where they go, just smile and wave, boys, smile and wave. That's what people do to you. They're like, I'll just smile and wave at you and maybe you'll shut up and go away because I don't want to hear your canned presentation. Because it doesn't matter what I say, you're not listening anyway. Why do we approach the gospel that way? Make it real. Ask questions. Listen to what they have to say. Hear where they're at. Share your story. Let your story and who you are be what has the impact. Be sincere in it. Listen more than you talk. Have you heard that theme running over these last three weeks? Listen more than you talk. And guess what? When they ask a question that you don't know the answer to, say, I don't know but I'll go look it up with you. Or let's find it together. Let's explore it together. Let's figure it out. You don't have to have all the answers. It's okay. Don't be a walking tract. Be a living example of what Christ has done in your heart. And then the last one, hard sell pressure tactics. You ever been somewhere where you have a conversation with a salesperson and before it's all said and done, you'd rather punch them in the mouth than buy whatever the heck they're selling? You know what I'm talking about. You have a conversation with somebody and it doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter how you respond, they're going to get you to the sale where you say yes or no, one way or the other, they're going to close the deal. And I've seen all kinds of people do this with their faith, where they walk up to somebody and they put it under this disguise of going, well, if I don't close the deal today, if I don't convince them to come to Christ, they could be in a car accident on the way home and they could die and go to hell forever. And I hear that and I go, is your God really that small? Is your God really that small that he can't deal with that too? That you have to close the deal or it's all over? See, here's the point. You can pressure somebody into making a decision. You can pressure somebody into praying a prayer. But did anything really happen with their heart? Was there really a heart change that occurred? Do they understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus? 
Because, see, I'd rather wait an extra day or two days or a week or even a month and continue the conversation and listen to what they have to say and allow them to keep exploring so that when they make that decision to come to Christ, they're serious about it and their heart changes and they experience Jesus in their life. Me getting them to say a prayer today, nothing wrong with that, but is that the best approach? Think about it. Is it the best approach? Be a friend. Listen to your friend. Walk with your friend. Share your story. Walk through the open doors when they are there. Don't get caught up in trying to close the deal. Seven dead-end detours that you need to avoid. Don't go there in these areas when you're sharing your faith. Keep it simple. Keep it focused on Jesus. Let your life speak. Listen more than you talk. I keep coming back to that because I want you to hear it. Listen more than you talk. Walk on the journey with your friend. Principle one, pick one person. Pray for them. Pray that God will give you opportunity to speak into their life. Pray that God will be working to soften their heart and prepare them for that opportunity. Pray for them constantly and be ready and willing to walk through that open door when God gives it to you. Let's share our faith. Let's raid hell and save people. But let's do it in a way that they're offended by the gospel, not by you and I. There's a big difference. The gospel can be offensive at times because it's very convicting. But if God offends you, that's something you're going to have to deal with. If I offend you, that's something I'm going to have to deal with. Don't be the one doing the offending. Let's pray. God, thank you for how you are at work within our hearts. Thank you for how you are constantly moving and, and shaping us into the people that you want us to be and that you have called us to be. And God, I pray that this morning that we would simply hear the simplistic nature of the gospel that you've communicated. God, I pray that we would be reminded that it's not about us. It's not about how smart we are or how many answers we don't know. God, it's simply about us showing up and being willing to be obedient, being your humble servants and walking through the open doors that you give us. Help us to do that. God, I pray that this morning, if, if there's someone here among us who has not yet accepted the simple message of your gospel of grace and, and doesn't understand how much you love them, I pray that you have used this morning to open their ears to that. God, I pray that you would soften hearts for those of us who are committed to following you, God, I pray that you would help us to follow you with our whole heart and to be true to you and to trust you in every step of the way. God, we just commit this time to you and pray that you would move and work in your power. It's in your name we pray. Amen.